about children's church and youth group and junior high and all that. And I made this announcement the first service. It was completely incorrect with not the right information. So if you were here, just forget it. If you see someone later that was in first service and said, and they say, well, Amy said, you could just be like, no, that's been redacted. We're not doing that. Just forget it. So this is what's happening. Currently, Children's Church is nursery through sixth grade. That was kind of changed last year. Um, but starting next Sunday, the 7th, junior high will once again have their own connect time during first and second service. So if you have a student from sixth grade to eighth grade, they are welcome to come here first to worship with you, listen to me, and then afterwards I will dismiss them and they will meet Pastor Caleb out on the deck, they will do their thing, and then they will come back before service ends. So Children's Church will be nursery through fifth grade, and then middle school has their own service and high schoolers, you are good in here. All right, so that is what's happening this coming next Sunday, and then until we, we're just gonna keep doing that until we wanna change it again. All right, so that's what we're gonna do. Uh, something else coming up is our women's spring tea. That is May 13th. I also told you this was free. Um, I should really just not say anything until I know what's going on, but. Saturday, May 13th, is the Women's Spring Tea. We, ask you to, we are asking you to register. It is not free, but it is, you know, very, very expensive. It's $5. And if you've already registered, that's totally fine. You can bring your $5 to the event, or you can talk to Ms. Tammy Brimer. She's back there. And you can give her $5. We still want you to come. We want you to register. This is in a couple weeks' time. Um, and so we want to make sure we have enough tea and all the goodies for everyone there. <sighs> all right. We have time for so much more, but because Pastor Bradbeard is going to come up here shortly, but that's pretty much it. That's all I got. Oh, yeah. All right. Now we're going to train. <laughs> I did this. I did. <laughs> She's <laughs> her, her transition first service was just fantastic. She's like, I, yeah, Brad, get up here. So <laughs> I got to yell at her this time, which is just fair. Um, probably this is a weird church where no one really should yell at anyone, but we all love each other here, so we just do it. Um, I'm so happy to be here this morning with you. My name is Brad. Um, thank you for coming back. For those of you who double-dipped this weekend for, I guess, what could best be described as a, uh, a joyful lament as we memorialized Dave yesterday. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad that you are back. Like Ecclesiastes says, there is a time for mourning and a time for dancing. Well, yesterday was our time for mourning. So you know what that means. <laughs> you ready for this? No, you're not ready. Jamie's like, that's my best move. But <laughs> uh, if you, uh, we're, we're going to study the Bible together as we continue in our season, our series in Ephesians. If you need to borrow a Bible from us, go ahead and stick your hand up and John will put one in your hand. Uh, the rest of you open it up to Ephesians chapter one. I am, I know I always say how excited I am to give you this message when I speak, but like sometimes it's, I'm excited because I get to speak, which is an enjoyable thing for me to, to talk about scripture. But this, uh, my wife can actually attest 
uh, to you that like by, on Tuesday of this week, I was telling her how excited I am to give this message because if you are the type of person who really likes coming to church so that someone will make you feel bad about yourself, I have bad news. I got none of that for you today. I don't have a message of me chastising you this morning. I don't have anything negative to tell you. I'm not going to even try to conjure up something from the positive to try to make you feel bad about yourself. This message this morning is 100% encouragement, and it is encouragement that will, I hope, drive you to a deeper worship of the true God. Let's pray to that end. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you that this is a safe place, not in the wimpy way that the world uses that phrase, but that we freely get to worship you and don't have to worry about persecution from that, but also that we can freely come before you having been cleansed by you. Otherwise, you'd have every right to take us out. We praise you. We praise you because you have invited us in. Holy Spirit, my words are only my words unless you empower them. And that would be a travesty. Fall upon this place. Let us see the true God through the scriptures that you have given to us and have been preserved for us. We want to hear the real God speak. We give you this time. Amen. As is often our custom, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to read our passage for the morning. It will be in Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, we're just going to work with verses 3 through 6. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You can be seated. As you can see by reading that passage, it's all positive stuff. So my job here is to try to ensure to the best of my ability with the short period of time that I have that you understand all this positive stuff. A couple of quick caveats though. It would be easy for me or it would be easy for you to hear me say all of these positive things and think that this is true of everyone. And the truth is, it's not. Over and over again in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is telling us the group to whom he is addressing these truths. Those who are in Christ. Jesse drove that home to you multiple times that, that Paul uses that construction, that phraseology in Christ numerous times over and over again. Now that idea of being in Christ is worthy of its own message time, but there's more from within Ephesians that I want to share for you. So for now, when we say in Christ, 
here's what I want you to hear, is that if you are one of those in the room who have decided to, despite what the world does, see Jesus as your king and devote the entirety of your life to him because of what he has done for you, receiving his sacrifice for you, you are those who Paul deems in Christ. You are found in Christ. Now, I know that in a room like this, that means that there are some of you for whom that description doesn't match. And that's fine. I'm glad you're here. And probably the, the most phenomenal thing that could happen other than people clearly understanding and hearing God's word for what it is, one of the most exciting things would be for you who are not currently in Christ to see all the blessings and benefits that those who are in Christ have and go, I gotta get me some of that. And if that is you today, please be enticed to the loving God who is wooing you even in this moment. Now, let's take a look at the text. Oh, I forgot one more, one more asterisk. I am what is commonly referred to as a Bible nerd. I wear the title proudly. I have t-shirts. <laughs> I've spent pretty much the entirety of my adult life, a lot of time, a lot of money to try to understand this book because I truly do believe that it is God's word to mankind, which makes it the most important thing that one could study, not to minimize what it is that you studied. But what that means is that I, I have been afforded some opportunities to dive really deep and this week, I feel, and I've used this analogy before, I feel kind of like a miner who's been really deep below ground, and I have found diamonds that I must share with you. However, sometimes uh, when I dive into this stuff, it can seem like a little too theological or heady. I don't mean to try to in some way intimidate you or try to make you feel like you have to have a degree in theology to understand the blessings that are yours in Christ. But one of the things that I was able to do this week by translating the text from the original language is I saw stuff that I wasn't seeing in the English text, and I can't help myself but to share it with you. So please forgive me when I try to do these things talking about the original language or theological concepts, or I use words that have five syllables to them. It's not because I want you to go, ooh, he's so smart. I want to listen to him. That's not how any of you should talk in any way. It's because I, I, want, I want you to, to understand something. When you see verse 3, look at the beginning of verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul starts verse 3 and ultimately continues to write all the way through chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul is worshiping. This is Paul's lengthy worship song. Now, I know that there are some people in this room who are content to understand the world only insofar as when I sit in car and I put foot on skinny pedal, car go. That's fine if you're there, totally get it. But some of us, and praise God for those, even the, the designers of those, some people go, well, why car go? Why, why car move when press skinny pedal? <laughs> and the more that you start to 
study the automobile, the more you start to look at that and go, wow, this is an amazing machine that I just take for granted. There are varying degrees to which people understand the inner workings of how stuff works, but here's what I want to argue. The deeper that you try to understand who God is, what he is like, how he is working, and what his plans are, the deeper will be your desire to worship him. It's true. But here's a really interesting byproduct. Another thing that Jesse drove home real well is that none of us are worship neutral. You were designed to be a worshiper. If you are designed to be a worshiper, you will have, when worshiping God, a deeper sense of your own purpose, which will bring you more fulfillment and joy. So here's the argument I'm going to try to make. Wherever it is that you're at in the theological spectrum or how much you can or cannot understand, uh, that, how much you can or cannot understand, my encouragement to you is this. Keep diving deeper. What you will find is a greater desire to worship our God, which will bring you a greater sense of fulfillment and joy. It is a win-win. And that's what Paul is going to do with Ephesians chapter 1. He's going to give us dense, thick, weighty worship because he was willing to do the theological work. And as such, his joy increased. And you see it over and over as you continue to read the text of Ephesians chapter 1. So, the first question then is what aspect of God is driving Paul's worship in Ephesians chapter 1? Look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he blessed us in or with all, all spiritual blessings in the heavens in Christ. What kind of blessings did, did God bless us with? Okay, so good. You're pointing out every or all, which is really good. Every or all, and then what kind of blessings were they? Spiritual blessings. Do you know how fun it would be for me to be with a type of preacher that wore like a three-piece suit and like sweat profusely with my sweat rag running around to tell you about all the ways that God's going to be giving you all kinds of things and it's going to whip you up into all kinds of excitement and everybody wins because I just get to dance around about all the great things you're going I get all the great things here's the I'm not saying that's altogether wrong but a lot of the times people understand what the, the great things don't mean money it it doesn't mean physical stuff they are spiritual blessings. But, interestingly, spiritual blessings are probably more what you actually want. Think, think about this. The, the old overrated prophets of yesteryear said, I don't care too much for money because... I, it's getting to the point where people don't even know Beatles songs anymore. <laughs> Jake, don't try to act like you haven't played that song somewhere. <laughs> no? Okay. No, no, I haven't. I haven't. Okay, fine. The point is, I, I, the point is one, I need to update my illustrations. <laughs> I'm now the old guy. <laughs> I'm sure Post Malone has said something similar. <laughs> or has it tattooed on his face. The point, the, the point is this. 
Even the Beatles, who clearly did not follow Christ, understood that money was useless to get them the thing that they actually wanted. They couldn't get love with money. They wanted love. Love is a spiritual blessing. It is a blessing that happens in the spiritual realm. Yeah, you get to experience it as it plays out in the physical realm, but what we really want is not material stuff. We don't want physical stuff. You may think you want that for a moment, but the truth is the spiritual blessings that we get in Christ are significantly more meaningful than anything you could gather for yourself on this earth. And they are all ours in Christ. What are the blessings? I'm glad you asked. Let's look. Verse four. <clears throat> well, I should put my notes in order. In as much as or in so far as he chose us for himself, the word that Paul uses there to transition in verse four tells us that his plan is to explain for us what these spiritual blessings are. This is the way in which we have been spiritually blessed from the heavens in Christ. And he explains the blessings. Blessing number one, he chose us for himself. The Greek word there, eklegomai, which kind of sounds like election. Here's what I'm not going to do this morning. I'm not going to argue for you precisely what this means. I've spent a lot of time in rooms with people arguing about what is the nature of God's election. And there are some important things to try to learn about it. Here's the problem. If we want to discuss those things, I want to ensure that we're doing it just because it's like fun to talk about. Because the moment that we start arguing with one another about what election means and whether or not God chose you or you chose God, and that starts to divide us into separate churches, we all lose. We lose. Jesus said, they're going to know that I'm legit. This is the rough translation. They'll know that I'm legit by the love that we have for one another. So friends, I can love you and discuss on an intramural level what election means. But if the world sees us arguing about stuff that's not as important, then Jesus gets a bad name and I can't handle that. So we're not going to do that. Instead, what I want to do is look at it from the perspective of the blessing that Paul wants us to say. You're cool with that, Matisse? I like that, that you're not. Yes, Brad, he's telling me to do it this direction. God's speaking through Matisse to me right now. What is it that God did when he elected? He chose us for himself in Christ. You, my friends, if you are in Christ, you were picked now, for some of you, because we're not all Mike Harrisons and Andy Finches of the world, you might, you might not realize it looking at the physical specimen that I have become, but I was not picked first in gym class. Ever. I'm still talking to therapists about it. Eventually, I will be able to love myself. The truth is, you weren't picked last if you were in Christ. You know how I know this? Number one, we're told by the text that you were picked. Number two, he hasn't returned. So that means he's still picking. So everyone in this room that's in Christ, you weren't picked last. Maybe middle of the pack, but that's just because some people were born before you. 
You were picked in Christ. There is no one getting picked on the last gym class line. Just, oh, please let me get picked before the guy with the broken leg, right? It's, <laughs> you were picked in Christ. You also, according to verse four, were not an afterthought. You were chosen for himself in Christ prior to what? Prior to the foundation of the earth, the words there, pra katabales kosmu, prior to the establishment or the foundations of all of the cosmological universe, everything physical, prior to that, that's when you were picked. This phrase is only used three times in scripture. Only used once here, once in John 17, 24, Jesus tells us that the love that the father had for the son was prior to the foundation of the cosmological universe, prior to anything physical that existed. God existed in triunity, in the perfect loving relationship of father, son, and Holy Spirit. And in that love, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 20, the third place where this is used that the redemptive plan existed prior to the foundation of the cosmos. That God knew that man was going to mess up and had a plan before that actually occurred. That you could be given the blameless blood of Christ. You were not an afterthought. You were a forethought. Everything planned out ahead of time, you were selected and the blameless blood of Christ prior to him even shedding it was destined to become yours who are in Christ. Now, speaking of blameless, look at the word that Paul continues to go on. Prior to the establishment of the cosmos, he made and he, he creates, Paul creates a funny construction here. The best way I could try to describe it would be with my voice here. He writes, he made to be us holy and blameless. Like he, the way that he writes it, there's almost a hesitation. I can't even believe it. He made to be us, us, you and me. He made us to be holy and blameless in Christ talking about blameless because we were already there. This word blameless, we'll talk about him in reverse order in which Paul addresses it. This word blameless, blameless, amomas, means unblemished, like a perfect sacrifice. If you are in Christ, you stand in moral perfection before God. You can't do it. And when I say you can't do it, I'm saying you can't do it either. I can't do it. Try. Try this week. Be morally perfect all week. Give me a call. Let me know how it goes. Can't do it. But in Christ, something that you didn't deserve, earn, or could even do if you wanted to, you became blameless. Morally perfect. Now, interestingly, Paul could have just used one word there, but he uses two. And by using those two words, I get excited because it helps me understand each word. We've talked about blameless, that we, were un, that we are unblemished 
just like the perfect sacrifice of Christ. But he also says another word about us. Don't be afraid. Holy. There we go. Holy. Now, if you're like me and you hear that word, you probably have a tendency to think of it as the same as blameless, like moral perfection in a sense. That's what I typically think when I hear that word. And that's not necessarily wrong. It does have a moral sense. But I would encourage you sometime, spend a month, maybe more, and start looking at how God uses the word holy in the Old Testament. And you're going to understand something, that holy doesn't mean moral perfection. Moral perfection is kind of a part of it. But holy means specially designed for a designated divine purpose. Let me say it again. Holy means specially designated for a designed divine purpose. It has a moral sense, but here's instead how I want you to think about the word holy. We don't use the special silverware to clean out the garbage disposal, do we? Now, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, the special silverware. My mom was raised by a woman who went through the Great Depression. And she also got the benefit of living the American dream and did very well for herself in business, but never shifted a life lived like, being, like living through the Great Depression. So even though she made all kinds of money, they were still like, saving like the tubs of margarine, like the tubs to use as, as uh, maybe some of you don't understand this. Like living like a poor person, despite the fact that she clearly was not. And that was passed on to my mom, so much so that in my house, we had a cabinet that had plates and silverware that was used maybe one day a year. Never would it be acceptable for me to go over because all the forks are in the, the dishwasher. It would never be acceptable for me to go over and use the special forks. You know what's really funny about this church? In 8.30, three quarters of the people, they're like, yep, that's exactly it. Second service, they're like, weird. I've never heard this before. <laughs> First world problems. <laughs> Welcome to your life of privilege. The special silverware was not allowed to be used for common purposes. You didn't get to eat a Pop-Tart on the special plates. Those only came out for the special guests. And it wasn't just any dinner party. It was like the dinner party of the year. You, my friends in Christ, you're the special silverware. You're not a plastic fork. You're not a paper plate. You were specifically designed for a divine task. You were made morally perfect and blameless in Christ and then taken with that position of moral perfection and given for a specifically designed divine task. You are the special silverware. You are holy and blameless. Now, it's not that you, what I'm saying right now is that if you really are following Christ, you will be perfect. 
Look at how Paul describes it according to verse 4. We are holy and blameless. And then the word that he uses here is before his face or sight. In the way that God sees you, you are now perfect. It's not that God has bad vision. It's not that he has the inability to see your sin or he just ignores the negative and only positive vibes is all that God is willing to look at, right? It's, it is that for those of you who have claimed Christ, Christ stands before us in God's field of view. In Christ, you are blameless and he has set you aside for a special purpose just like Christ. Now, as if those blessings weren't enough, Paul continues worshiping in verse 5. Take a look at it. He foreordained or predetermined or predestined us into adoption. The word there, praorizo, means to preset out the horizons or the boundaries of how something is going to get laid out. That God, in his foreknowledge, set out the horizon of how things were going to what was in that horizon prior to your existence, God set you up for a spiritual family. I love the word that Paul uses here for, that is translated into English as adoption. That you are weothasion. Weothasion means that you are a willed son or a child by choice. I want you to think about this for a minute. For all the pain and trauma that adopted kids have to endure, they have something that I will never have. Long ago, on a stormy night, my parents enjoyed each other's company. And less than about a year later, they were stuck with me. And 40 years later, without most of your choosing, now you are stuck with me. Hasn't been a whole lot of choice in the matter. The adopted will always know one thing, that they were picked. And they may not necessarily know all of the process that they had, their parents had to go through, the legal battles, the fights, the wonderings, the staying up late at night wondering, am I going to get this child or am I not going to get this child? Having to go through the process and the struggles of, are you my mom? Are you not my mom? How does that all work? At the end of it, they will know that they were specifically chosen. Much unlike me. But when God describes you, you are weothasion. You are a child of choice. You were specifically picked and adopted and brought into a family that was not your own. And yet one that had been pre-set out that you would be able to join. Interestingly enough, the last description that Paul provides in verse 5 of this process of adoption that occurred, look at verse five, through or by the means of Jesus Christ. He did it unto himself according to, and then a good translation of this phrase would be according to what seemed good to his will, according to the good pleasure of his will. 
God didn't adopt you because he felt bad for you. What made sense to him, what he wanted, what his specific desire was, was to choose you and pick you, to pull you into his family. Not because he felt like he'd feel bad otherwise, because it was his good pleasure to do so. He enjoyed picking you if you are in Christ. If you understand even half of what I'm trying to say about these blessings, verse 6 makes sense to you. That if you get this, that what you understand, that this will result in the praise, glory of his grace, which was, and then Paul uses the same that he uses as a verb, the same noun that he used, the glory of his grace, which was graced to us in the one he loved or by the beloved. If you understand the blessings that we've just been discussing for those who are in Christ and you have them, then you understand the depth of grace that has been given to you. And it results in the praise of God's shining greatness. In my opinion, here's what I think makes a good teacher of the Bible. A lot of teachers out there will take a phrase or an idea and they'll just kind of riff on it for a while. And this might be helpful, but if you only get that kind of teaching, what you're going to get is that teacher's ideas about things. Ideally, a good teacher should search the passage for the main point and then make that the main point of the message. Now, sometimes there are lots of points to make from a text, but sometimes there are indications within a text that tell us what the author wanted the main point to be. Now, though there are many deep and interesting points to make from these verses that we've discussed, there is one point that Paul wanted highlighted for you. Stick your nerd hat on with me, because I want to show it to you. The problem is that I got to show it to you in Greek, because I didn't see it in English. It wasn't visible in English. But when I looked at it in Greek, it smacked me across the face, and anytime I see a construction like this, You've probably heard me nerd out on it before if you've, you've listened to me teach long enough. I got to point them out. They're like way too good. So when you look at these words, what you're going to see first is, I don't know those words. Yes, correct. You do not know those words. The thing with Greek is that it's written in an alphabet that you're probably not familiar with. Some of the letters look like English letters. Some of them don't. Some of them look like different English letters than the sound that they actually make. What these are here are Greek words that are transliterated so that you can read them in the alphabet that you're familiar with, so that you can get pretty close to the pronunciation by looking at them. What you see here are the five us's of these verses that we talked this morning. The five us's. Now, for those of you that are like, heading in the direction of being a linguist and can kind of like learn, like you just went into the Amazon and you're trying to pull the, the, the words, you start to look for patterns. What pattern do you all see here? Hemas. Hemas is the word for us. Talking about us. 
So the words that come before the hamas are the different things that God did for us that are our spiritual blessings in Christ. But I also want you to notice something. And what's cool is when I transliterate it, you can physically see it if you look for it. This is a construction that theologians refer to as a chiasm or a chiastic structure. A chiasm is named that way after the Greek letter chi, which is an X. If you look at an X, you'll notice that an X is made up of essentially four triangles, if you look at it. If you look at the five us's of this passage, you'll notice that there's kind of a triangular shape to the ends of the phrases. That's one clue that this is a chiasm. The next clue, they put some nice colors, shapes on there to make it nice and easy. The other way that a chiasm is structured is that there are parallelisms, which essentially means something is said and then it's restated later. I gave you some colored symbols to show you what occurs. The first of the us is eulogesus hamas, he blessed us, is very similar to the other green rectangle, ikeros, I'm sorry, it's hard for me to read it in English. You have to read it in Greek because I'm so smart. Ekeratosin, he graced us. He blessed us and he graced us. They're somewhat similar concepts, aren't they? That's what the green rectangles indicate. If you look at the red dots, again, we see similar concepts. Exalexata, he chose us for himself. And praorisasemas, he preordained us for himself. There is some forehand choosing in those red dots that is parallel. What that means in this structure is that the main point that the author wants to drive home was the middle one, enaihemas, which was, as I pointed out to you when we read verse 4, the weird construction that Paul also wrote, to be us. What is it that Paul wants to drive home? What does he, when creating this chiastic structure, this was not chaos. This was purely ordered to point out to you something in the construction. It is to tell you who you are. You are and blameless before his sight. And because of his love, you are holy and blameless. I'm going to invite the band to come up and get ready so that we can respond. But I want you to think about that for a minute. If Paul is driving home for us, that that's what he wants us to know from this passage of what is ours in Christ, this must be my main point for the passage that you, my friends, who are in Christ, are holy and blameless. Brad, I'm... I'm a screw-up. Like, I, I make so many mistakes. I mean, you, you don't know what I've done. Yeah. In Christ, you are blameless. You are perfect. And you are spotless. 
Brad, I'm, I'm unimportant. I have no special skills or talents. I'm not good at anything. I, I can't do what she does, or I can't do what he does, or I can't do what they do. I'm not good at anything. That's, that's weird. Because when I read this book, what I see here is those who are in Christ, they're made blameless and set aside specifically for a specific divine task. You who are in Christ are holy, just as holy as the implements of the Old Testament. So that leaves you really just with an option. What are you going to choose to believe? Are you going to believe how you feel about your fears and your failures? Or are you going to believe what God has actually said you are because of what he has done for you in Christ? If you are in Christ, you are a wanted, selected, adopted child of God, made holy and blameless by his work and set aside for a special purpose. Yeah. Like Paul, I think it's time to praise God for that. Would you guys stand with us while we sing a couple more songs? <laughs>